So we've been talking about Abraham and faith. We've been looking at the book of Hebrews, and we've been kind of using that as a springboard to go into the Old Testament for a couple of reasons. Number one, we want to learn about faith. What is it? Number two, we want to say, okay, uh, let's look at some real life cases of people who demonstrated faith. And so that's kind of what we're doing. And, and we started uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Abraham. And so this is like the last weekend we're going to spend on Abraham. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what does it mean to pass the test of faith? Um, faith means, you know, one of the things we've learned so far is that um, faith isn't, it doesn't mean the people are perfect. It doesn't mean their faith is perfect. And it doesn't mean that they're always on this growing, you know, pattern. It's more like this, right? As you look at Abraham, it's certainly that way. But one of the things that we learn about uh, faith means, and one of the things that really is impressed upon me about Abraham is his eyes were up. His eyes were up. And he was always looking to the future. And he had an eternal perspective. And that eternal perspective helped him to see this world and this life in the correct perspective. So that's a big part of faith. Um, We also kind of had a working definition of faith. We said faith is trusting God enough to do what he says, no matter how we feel or how certain we are that things will work out. Now, that's the the last phrase is the one that we run into problems with. We like to believe in God when we things are going to work out. It's another thing to believe in God when things may not work out. That's where the faith gets difficult. So what we want to do this weekend is this. We want to look at how God tests our faith, because he does. In other words, why does God test our faith? Why do we need to even have our faith tested? And then how do we pass the test of faith? So I would love you to join me. Now, we have new chair Bibles. <clears throat> and um, we're doing this because economically, it's more economical. But number two, it's uh, a a good translation. It's the NIV. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can take out the Bible that's in the chair in front of you and uh, use this Bible. And uh, I want to read it, though, from uh, I'll read it and you can follow along with me. It's on page 974, Hebrews eleven seventeen, page 974. <clears throat> By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, there's, there's four lessons about faith that we want to look at. And we want to learn about what is, our, what is the testing of our faith and what, what is it all about. The first thing is we need, to, we need to understand that God will test our faith. It's not a matter of if or when. It's He's going to test our faith. Um, by the way, don't we already know this in our everyday life, that our faith is being tested daily? And sometimes in a major way, uh, we go through those major tests. Uh, if you live long enough, you quickly realize that life is filled with tests. And really, life, life tests are an important part of life. They show you where you're at. You know, some of the tests that uh, we've all had uh, 
good and bad teachers, right, in school or coaches or whatever. Um, some of the teachers, and you, you can, you'll, you'll remember this, some of the teachers, when you took a test, you, when you got done taking the test, you felt like you learned by taking the test. Like, there were things you learned through taking that test. Things were solidified. Things, concepts were clarified through taking the tests. Um, James tells us that in life, tests or trials are a way for us to grow. And sometimes those can be difficult. But tests in school, we were tested daily. We were tested in math, in science, in social studies, in English, in gym. Um, Tests were used to measure our knowledge, our skills. Like, I remember in, in elementary school where we had, a, uh, you know, we'd have a math test, English test, social studies. Um, we go to gym class and we had to do sit-ups, at so much, you know, measure how many sit-ups and how many push-ups we could do. And I could do a whole lot more than I can now, right? I remember, and this is a while ago, and I don't want to, seem like I'm talking like a like that old guy that says get off my lawn but um I remember uh in school where we had to learn how to square dance that was not fun and and we were tested on it I still to this day do not know what a dosi do is and by the way if you know what it is don't come after the service and tell me cuz I don't care I just don't care in fact, I care as much today as I did back when I was a little kid. I just don't care. Um, if you compete in a sport, if you compete in dance, if you compete uh, in a play, you know, all of those, whatever it is, <coughs> there's a test. It's always a test. How well did I, I remember my lines? Did I deliver it in the right way? Can I improve? Can I grow? Can, you're always getting feedback, right? Now, what I found was the good teachers in my life Use those tests to help me grow. Then there were other teachers that used the test to just beat me down. You may have a boss right now, and he is throwing tests on you right now, and he does not want you to succeed. And, and he or she, let's be equal here. But the bottom line is they're making tests that are absolutely impossible, and they know it's impossible for you. Because they just want you to fail. And, and some of you are right now or in the past have suffered under a person who abused their power to set you up for failure. All they wanted to do was break you. You know, think of the book of Job. It's very interesting. It's very interesting when you think about it in that light. What was happening to Job? He was being tested, right? His faith was being tested. And what did the enemy come and say? The enemy came and said, listen, this guy's just... The only reason he's following you is because you just paved the way for him. But if you took stuff out of his life, he would curse you. So what Satan's trying to do here is he's trying to set up a test for that, that Job can't pass, that he will fail. But that's not God's intent. God was using the trials and the tests to build him and to prove him. And that's the thing that we don't always like to, to hear. Tests especially life tests, especially tests as we go through difficult trials and tribulations, many times a God uses the fire of those tests to forge our faith. And that's not easy. It's not pleasant. 
You know, tests can sometimes be pleasant, but most of the most of the time, they're painful, they're stressful, and they're difficult. You found that? That's what I find. I mean, when somebody says, I mean, you know, from as simple as taking a driver's test, right? Or an eye test, or, you know, like, you go, do I have to? <laughs> you know, I don't want to. You know, no matter what it is, I don't, just don't want to be tested. Why? Because we know it's going to show maybe something that's deficient within us. We don't want that to be revealed. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. This is Hebrews twelve eleven. No discipline, you can put test in there, seems, unple- seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that's really the essence of what a great test is. A great test is something that we grow. It helps us to grow and develop. And that's why God gives us tests. By the way, we're starting, it's actually on the website right now, a blog and so different uh, m- members of the staff have, are going to do different articles. And I, I said, well, I'll start. You know, I guess that's my job to start things. Um, so there's a test. And the question I'm asking in this blog article is, are you a heretic? Are you a heretic? And there's, I think, eight questions there. And then I kind of have you do the questions and answer yes or no. And then I explain, give you the answers and explain the answers. And the reason I do that is because this survey was done a couple of years ago, and it was amazing kind of where the Christian population is in believing or not believing uh, heresy. So you can go to the blog, take that test, and it will be interesting, right? It will be, and no one will know what you answered unless you brag about it and if you are, you know, you but go to the website and uh, that, that you'll see that there. All right, so that's the first thing we need to see is that God does test us. Secondly, we need to understand how God tests us. Look at uh, verse 17 of Hebrews 11. This is page seven or 974. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. There are times where God's tests seem to go contrary to what God has promised. Notice what he's doing here with Abraham. God said, you're going to have a son and you're going to have many descendants. And then he goes on and he says, now offer that son and give him to me. Sacrifice him to me. And you go, wait a minute. Isn't that contrary to the promise? Well, it is. But that's the way it is sometimes. By killing Isaac, he was seemingly going against his promise to Abraham that Abraham would have multiple, many, countless descendants. Now, here's the thing. And you've already, some of you have already found this. Sometimes when you follow God, you're going to have to do something foolish. Something that goes counterintuitive to, to what seems rational. Well, something that, that, you're, that you're, your neighbors and your friends and your family may not understand. They already, some of you are already there. They think you're nuts. They think you're nuts because you were raised in a certain tradition and now you're going to Hope Church and they think, what is wrong with you? You're drinking too much of the Jesus juice. You're just like all like, 
you just love Jesus all the time, and I just don't know who you are. And you go, well, shouldn't that be a good thing? Not a bad thing? You think you're so righteous, and, and, and you go, wait, I'm just following Jesus. That's, you know, but they look at you and they think you're nuts. I mean, think of Noah. He's building this big, big, big boat, right? And it's in the middle of like a desert. There's no, you know, there's no like water nearby. And it's this huge boat. And his neighbors must have thought, what are you doing? You must be crazy. Sometimes that's what the tests of God uh, entail. That the world will look at you and say, you're nuts. You go, no, I'm not nuts. I know you don't get it, but I'm not nuts. I mean, God makes a number of promises in His Word, doesn't He? In Philippians 4, He says this, My God will meet all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We love that verse. Many of us would would memorize that verse. My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. How about Ephesians 3.20? Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, according to His power that is work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's able to do immeasurably. In other words, Paul's saying He's able to do more than you can ever imagine. And right now you're struggling with your health or you're struggling with a relationship or you're struggling with a job. You're not making ends meet. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How often do we feel like God has reneged those promises that He's made? Wait, He made these promises to me. Why, why am I going through this? Why am I struggling right now? Let me ask you a few questions. Because this is where faith is forged. It's when God says to you, I know the, the, I know the very hairs of your head. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. And yet you find yourself going through those, this dark valley and you say, I don't understand how I equate those. How do I reconcile those two things? I mean, that's what Abraham was struggling with. This is the son of promise. You want me to kill him? And Noah says, you want me to build a boat for what? question is this, can you continue to love, trust, and serve God even in spite of having somebody you dearly love dying and you pray to God, I need them. And God is silent. Can you still trust Him? Can you continue to love, trust, and serve God even when you lose your job and you say, God, I need this job. Can you continue to trust Him? Can you continue to continue in love and trust and serve Him even when your health begins to fade? And and, and, and you say, God, you're able to heal me. Why haven't you? I mean, wasn't this Job's question? Wasn't Job's question, God, I don't understand why this is happening. Just let me have an audience with you. Many people have, have walked away from God They think a loving God would never allow me to experience a test like this in my life if He loves me. And see, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith is forged. What do you do when your wisdom seems to contradict God's wisdom 
when the promises of God don't seem like they're, they're playing out in your life the way you thought they would. This is where our faith is forged. It's not in the good times of life, but in the times of desperation. In the times of discouragement. The third thing we need to learn is this. We need to understand why God tests our faith. Why do we need tests? Well, we talked a little bit about that. But, you know, in the Old Testament, there were a number of sacrifices that they offered. There was uh, the uh, thank offering. And the thank offering was uh, you would make an offering and a portion of the offering would be offered to God. And then you as a family would bring the rest of the offering home and you would use that. You would you would eat it. But you would offer part of the offering and you would keep the rest. There was another offering, and that was where you'd bring the whole burnt offering. The whole offering or the burnt offering was given to God. Everything was given. Nothing was left. You were giving it all to God. Every last bit of that offering went to God. In Genesis 22, God is asking Abraham for the whole offering. The problem is the whole offering is his son, And what he's saying to Abraham is this. I want it all. I want everything. You say, well, why why couldn't God ask for Ishmael? Because he had another son. He had Ishmael, but he doesn't ask for Ishmael. Ishmael is older than Isaac. He asked for Isaac. And I believe there's two reasons why he asked for Isaac. (coughs) First one is, Isaac is the son of the promise. Because God has said to Abraham on numerous times when Abraham first came up with this scheme of saying, well, I guess we could have this multiple generations and the blessing of God could come through Ishmael. And God says, no, it will come through Sarah, your wife, and it will come through Isaac. Isaac was the promised one. Here's the second reason. I believe Isaac had become too much for Abraham. And what do I mean by that? Um, I believe that Isaac was... It's interesting, there's a phrase that, 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 that is used in Genesis where God says to Abraham, bring your son, your, 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 your son of promise, the one you love. <laughs> and, and I think that the idea there is... That Abraham was in danger of overloving his son. This son was it. This son was becoming too much. It was becoming more than it than he needed to be. Uh, and, and, and can you really blame Abraham for having uh, so much focus on the son? In other words, Isaac was in danger of eclipsing even God in Abraham's life for his devotion. Now, can you blame him? I mean, after all, Isaac is a miracle baby, right? How old was Sarah? How old was Abraham? Um, He's the son of the promise. And, And he was virtually the only thing that Abraham could see. God gave him all these promises in Genesis 12. And then he reiterated them in 15 and in 22. He keeps talking about these promises. But he hasn't seen the land. He hasn't seen the multitudes. But what he does see is he sees this one son. This is the one tangible reminder 
of God's promise. You know, um, here's where it plays out in our lives. There are things in our lives that are good things and, and you know, family and work and, you know, having, uh, you know, goals and purpose. And those are all great things and we all should have those things. But there are times when sometimes good things become God things. They become too big. They become too important. And you'll know what those are. Here's how you'll know that. When they start to fall away, you lose your job. Your family starts to fall apart. Other things, you struggle financially. Whatever it is, you begin, your life begins to, you lose your footing in life. And you say, who am I? What's going on? And you, your life, begin, you begin to tumble down. And you, you take a hard fall. Somebody has likened, and I love this illustration. They've likened the overloving of things and, and ultimately to, to judo. So what is the principle of judo? The principle of judo is this, that a smaller uh, person can take a bigger person down. How do they do that? They use their weight of the bigger person against themselves. So they use their own weight against themselves. And that's what sin does. That's what Satan does. That's what the enemy does. The enemy takes good desires, good motives, good, good things, and takes them and multiplies them, and he uses those things to throw us down, to put us on our backs, spiritually speaking. They become over-desires. They, they turn, they become, they become something to the only thing. They become good things into God things. And, and the next thing you know, we're living for that and not for Him. And when we get to that point, when that thing, whatever it is, whatever it is, when we begin to, and it's challenged, it begins to degenerate, or we begin to lose it, <coughs> we go, okay, my life's a mess. In other words, when the Isaacs in your life are threatened or taken away, your life will begin to crumble. And you begin to worry and despair. And you'll even get to a place where you become bitter with God. So if something is being challenged in your life, and you aren't like losing it. It is because you have made that thing, that relationship, whatever it is, that job, whatever it is, you have made it a God thing. And you have said to God, this I must have rather than you. This means that something other than God has become your ultimate, the ultimate thing in your life. And see, here's the thing. Only God can be that only thing in your life. People can't do that. And when you come into a marriage with another person, you say, I need you to be my sole source of security and significance and satisfaction. Number one, you're putting a whole lot of weight on the other person. But the other thing is, what if they fail you? You can't do that to another person. And God never intended that for... God never intended the other person to be everything that only God could be in your life. And that's what we that's the biggest mistake I think we make. We ask work, we ask our wives, our husbands, we ask our kids, we ask all these different things to be God things in our lives. And to a certain extent they can give us those things, but when we put all of our weight on those things, too much weight on those things and they begin to crumble, our life falls apart. And I think God saw in Abraham 
that he was putting so much weight and so much faith in in Isaac and not in God that God says, okay, we're going to challenge that. We're going to yank that out because that can't be. I can't allow a good thing, even this son of promise, to become the only thing or the God thing in your life. It can't be that way. Let's talk about the last part of faith that we see with Abraham. We need to understand how God tests our faith. How do we pass the test? Uh, remember, this is the first thing. Remember, the most reasonable thing to do is to trust God. When God said to Abraham, offer your son, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. In other words, he's saying, I, the best, the only thing, the wisest thing, the smartest thing I could do is trust God. Somehow he's going to work this out. I have no idea how he's going to work this out, but he's going to work this out. And the point I want you to see here is that Christian faith is never thoughtless. We reason. It is never a blind leap. God was capable of raising Isaac. Abraham believed God could, not God would. In other words, he's saying God could do this, but I'm not sure if he will do this. Now, we get it wrong because we say not only God could, but God must. And when God doesn't, then we say, God How could you do this to me? See, we feel that there's only one way for God to act. And that's, I think, where we get into trouble. I think we just have to come to a place where there are many times where God is testing our faith and where he's asking us to trust him, even when it seems to go counter to his promises, that we say, God, I don't understand this and I absolutely don't like it, but I'll still trust you. Even in the dark valley, I'll trust you. Because it's the best thing I could do. Isn't that what Job said? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I don't understand this. I don't like it. There's nothing more reasonable than to believe God, to trust in him. Especially when I don't understand. When my future looks hazy, when it looks crazy, when it looks uncertain. At those times, we need to stop, step back, and see the power and promises of God. We have to look back and say, has he been faithful in the past? Yeah. We remember his work, remember his words. Here's what I found. I found that (laughs) in my own life, that God is always trustworthy. That when I trust him, even when I don't understand, he comes through. I found that I spent way too much time worrying about things that I had no control over. And when I just said, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. You have a plan. I'm going to do my due diligence and do what you've called me to do. And I'm going to remain faithful. I found that those are the times that I grow the most in my faith. I've also found that the times where I I, I say, God, it has to work this way. It has to be this plan. It has to be this way. That when it doesn't work out, I immediately become angry with God, bitter with God, and the rails of my life come off. I don't have time to tell you, but when I was in seminary, and we were just really struggling, there was a job that, that I just said, I went in for the interview and I just said, I have to get this job. This, like there's, this is it. I don't have other, ch- I mean, I have like a week or two maybe where I'm going to have to pay rent. I'm going to have these bills and I don't have the money. 
Nothing. No savings. No nothing. We didn't know what savings was. And I just said, God, I have to have this job. And nothing happened. I didn't get the call. And I, the interview went well. And I'm thinking, got to get this job. And then God came in the back door. And there was another company that had an opening. And I didn't want to go. I said, no, God, that's not the plan. I'm not, I don't want to work there. I want to work here. That's a hard job. And I don't... I, and... Uh, I, w- I was a jerk. I went to the interview, and I was a jerk. <laughs> I really, did. I did everything. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to have a good attitude. And I didn't have a good attitude. Guess what happened? I got hired. That was one of the best jobs I ever had. One of the hardest jobs I ever had. One of the best jobs I ever had. I remember one night I was on a loading dock. I was working for Roadway. And, you know, when it's 10 below outside, it's 10 below on the dock. And I remember, I think it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, some ungodly hour, and I was unloading a truck. And I remember that God kind of came to my heart at that moment and said, because I was thinking about how great this job had been. It provided for us financially. It was giving me some exercise. And I kind of was, you know, I was going in. I was motivated. It was, it was hard work, but it was great work. And it was, it was just, and I was just thinking about how this had really worked out. And God says, oh, is it working out for you? Good to know. Good to know. And I remember being in the trailer and I just remember saying, God, I'm so sorry that I just didn't trust you. That I had my plan and because you didn't follow my plan, I was like all up in arms. And yet you had a better plan for me. So I know what it's like to be Mr. I have the plan, God, here, just do it. And I also know what it is to say, God, you know what? I don't like this period of this situation, this issue in my life right now. I don't like the test I'm going through right now. But I do know this. You have always been faithful in the past. Always. And I expect you will be in the future. So I'm going to try to do the wise thing, the smart thing here. I'm going to trust you even if I don't get it. I'm going to trust you. And that's kind of what Abraham did here. He's walking up the hill with his promised son. And his son says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, I don't understand it either. But I trust him. Second thing is, and we'll close with this. Remember, always look to the Lamb for your deliverance and hope. You know, many scholars believe that uh, Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered his son, is right next to where the temple was. Mount Moriah, was, many scholars believe, was where Jesus suffered and died on a cross. Mount Moriah is where Abraham laid his son on an altar and raised a knife after he tied him up 
and was ready to strike a death blow on his son, Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah was where Jesus got up on a cross and was tied and bound to a cross and was a sacrifice for us. And as Abraham lifted the knife, God says, stop. Now I know that you love me more than even this boy. Now I know. And when the knife went up for Jesus, it came down. And our response should be, now we know that you love us. That you would give your son. And that Jesus would give his life. Now we know. Now we know. Paul closes in Romans. Hey, you can look it up later. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's an argument from greater to lesser. If God gave his only son, won't he take care of everything else that we need? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, God, if you say, who's, if, is God all in? Yes, absolutely. Can you trust Him? The cross tells us, now we know. Now we know that You love us. Jesus, now we know. Now we know. Gee, God, You didn't spare Your Son, Jesus. You gave Your life. Now we know You love us. How do you pass the test of faith? What do you do when God puts you in that difficult time where you say, what do I do now? You trust Him, even though you don't understand it. Even though it seems contrary to the promises of God that, the, that, that He hasn't come through. You don't set up a plan and say, God, it has to be this way. You say, God, I don't like this, and I, but I'm going to trust You through all of this. And you remember the past. You remember the promises. And you remember how He's, he's been faithful. He's always been found faithful. And you trust Him. I mean, I, I even think of uh, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. Say, unless, you deny, uh, unless you stop this nonsense of worshiping the Almighty God, you're going in the furnace. They go, well, you know what? Here's the deal. Our God can save us from this furnace. But even if He doesn't, we're not going to. We're going to confess it. We're not stopping. That's faith. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us to trust you even when the enemy in life pushes us to question you. Help us to really believe, to remember the cross. Because the cross should settle in our hearts once and for all. Now we know. Now we know that you really love us. Now we know, Jesus, that you love us, that you would give your Son. Now we know you love us, God, because you did not spare your Son, but gave Him. Help us to remember 
that you're all in for us. That you have held back nothing. And though the enemy would have us believe, just like in the garden, God is holding out on you. You have never held out on us. And you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. Whatever situation we're in tonight, Father, whatever tests we're in the middle of, may we place our faith squarely in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.